Own Your Truth with life strategist Laura T. Real advice for regular people. Now, here's Laura. To Own Your Truth with Laura T, where we're talking real advice for regular people. So, as I mentioned at the start of the season, each month I'll be interviewing someone living their truth and creating a life experience their way. Tonight is one of those shows, and I am thrilled to spend time with renowned speaker and best-selling author Bob Berg. A little background on Bob. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, ah, my favorite, co-authored with John David Mann, has sold over 925,000 copies, has been translated into 28 languages, and has sparked a series of books including The Go-Giver Leader, The Go-Giver Influence, and Go-Giver Sell More. Bob is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences where he shows large and small companies that conducting their business in the go-giver way not only provides greater value to their customers, it increases profits as well. And we're going to talk about that tonight. It's also important to mention that Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing the amount of money one makes is directly in proportion to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. Bob, welcome to the show. Laura, great to be with you, my friend. I am so excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. I always love talking with you anyway, but, you know, Aww. getting to talk with you and a, a whole bunch of new friends, that's even better. Oh, you are so sweet. So if you don't mind, at the beginning of the show, I love to share how I've met my guests. And our meeting is one of my favorites because, and I think I shared this with you before, I was in real, real estate and a friend of mine said, you need to read The Go-Giver. Like, you will love this book. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I put on my bu- bu- list of books to read and then another person mentioned it. And then another person mentioned it, and I was like, okay, okay, yep, it's on my list. All right, I've got to read it. Well, my good friend Mary Beth bought me the book and said, here, you have to read this book. I devoured it. I loved it so much. And, like, subsequently I'm on the phone with my cousin, and I said, oh, Terry, you need to read this book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. She's like, "Uh, Laura, Laura, you know I know Bob, right? I'm like, oh. And come to find out, you were a Natick High School graduate, and uh, yeah, we know each other. Yeah, and so yeah, she, she's one of my all-time favorite, oh. all-time favorite human beings. Oh, so sweet. Well, so I know that I reached out and have just been a huge, huge follower um, and fan, and um, I just can't say enough great things about you. You're just amazing online, in person, uh-huh. amazing. Well, thank you. And I've enjoyed following your career, and you've done such a fantastic job. So I'm very excited for you uh, about this, uh, about your show. I think that's great. Well, thanks so much. Well, I know that um, we want to dive in because I had so many questions. I had to really narrow them down and try to stay focused. So, you know, I want, I know a lot of my regular listeners have read The Go Giver, but for those who haven't, can you provide an overview of this really wonderful parable? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, and it was co-authored with John David Mann, who yes, and, and yes. you were kind enough to mention him earlier. And he has really 
the lead writer uh, slash storyteller. I mean, he's I'm a how-to guy. I'm I'm step one, step two, step three. And I'm pretty boring. John is a a brilliant writer and storyteller. So it was really a, a fantastic collaboration. I was very grateful to get to work with him. And uh, it's about a guy named Joe. The, you know, the average Joe, right? Who is a, a good guy, and he's a, a young, ambitious, aggressive salesperson who's really looking to to do great things, but his focus is very much on himself. He's very much I focused or, or me focused. And as hard as he works, he really, he can't understand why he doesn't have the kind of success he thinks he, he should have by now. And he ends up meeting a guy, very successful business person named Pindar, who, who kind of mentors him and, and introduces him to some other successful people. And Joe comes to realize, and, and this is really the basic premise of the whole story, that shifting your focus, and this is really so key, Laura, mm-hmm. shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say mm-hmm. giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a a nice way, you know, a pleasant way of conducting business. It's the most financially profitable way as well. Love that. And I mean, there's so many great pieces of information throughout the story about the importance of giving. I know one of the things is, you know, I think about the increased demand on people's time and the onslaught of information that comes out every day. How do you recommend people stay focused and consistent on the go-giver way? Well, I think it's always a matter of asking yourself, how can I do something, whether it's something you say, something you write, something you send, uh, a connection you make for someone, how can I do this in such a way that it's it's going to mean a lot to them, and it's not something that's going to be onerous on my time, right, too, because you're right, it is, we all have a lot to do, and so... You know, I I think one mistake people sometimes make is they decide how they are going to add value to others, and they they make it sort of a one-size-fits-all, when what we have to remember is that value is always in the eyes of the beholder. So it's learning about that other person and learning about their needs, wants, desires, and, you know, how you can help them, how you can make a difference for them in a way that they see it as being of value, and that's when you can do it in a way that's very effective and, and not time-consuming. So that one important distinction to make is giving in the – the value is, you know, always in the eye of the beholder. Any right. tips or tricks that you have that help people um, understand how someone else may view the situation? I know it's easy for us to kind of take it from our own perspective. What are some tools or tips and tricks do you use to help understand someone else's what, – what would be a value to someone else? Well, you're absolutely right. It's very natural for us to believe that what we would find to be a value is what others would find to be a value. And it's just not necessarily so. We all see the world from our own vantage point, if you will, based on our own belief systems, our what I call an unconscious operating system, mm-hmm. right? which is a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, newspaper, you know, what you read, what you, you know, hear from others. And so we, we, we tend to believe that other people see the world and value certain things the way we do. And again, it, it is not necessarily so. And that's why we have got to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And we've got to ask questions and just not assume that that other person sees the world as we do. 
uh, you know, it's it's sort of like when you see a, when a salesperson's doing a presentation and they say, well, you know, what I really love the most about this is, you know, right. and that's a nice spot, but really who cares what they <laughs> like the most about it? You know, it, it's what the other person likes the most about it. And, and we only know this through asking questions and then listening, really listening. That is the greatest gift is to have someone really listen to you. Um, yeah. Great point. So let me ask you, you've spent time in sales. I'm sure you've come across sales training that focuses on like scripts and push past the pain, cold calling type techniques. How do you recommend someone stay in alignment with this go-giver way, take that extra time to understand someone's value if they're in a culture where the focus is more on getting the sale than mm-hmm. providing value? Oh, I hear the great. Yeah, <laughs> Right. No. In other words, the leadership, what you're saying is the leadership has them focused on, you know, really on the numbers itself, not the value that they're providing. Exactly. So I I think there are a a couple of elements here at play. Um, The first is that, sure, an unnatural script, okay, is is obviously very uncomfortable. And it's difficult to to do something like that and sustain it. Okay. Mm -hmm. If it's uncomfortable, it, it's difficult to, to sustain, um, and it's not effective. So, right. Uh, you know, so, so that's the first part. It's not necessarily that a script in and of itself is a bad thing at, at, when it comes to the sales process in terms of just so you feel comfortable with what you're going to say. It's sort of like, Laura, if you go to a play and you see those, those fantastic actors on stage, right, Um None of them up there are are simply winging it night after night. Right. So, you know, saying whatever comes into their head. All those men and women up there, they have rehearsed it and rehearsed. I mean, they know it. Uh, you know, they, um, they, they know that part so well that they are they're not even acting anymore. That is them. And and that can be very valuable because the more that, you know, um, what you're going to say, what you're going to ask, what different responses might be, the more you can take the focus off of yourself and actually focus on that other person, right? Because totally you're not having to, 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 right. So, so if it's a, a script that honors the other person, because it's all about how you can add value to them and communicate that value, that's, that's a fine, that's a fine thing. But it turns out, you know, an unnatural script and having to push past the pain cold calling, uh, that's torture. That mm-hmm. is very difficult for most people. It's just not going to, to work on a, a long-term basis. So hopefully, you, you, you know, you can um, educate the leadership that, uh, you know, not only is it not comfortable, but it's not productive. But let's say you can't. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have to, of course, decide, are you are – you, willing to, you know, to stay in that organization. You can't always just leave. So what you might, you know, what you might need to do is develop, um, uh, you know, develop a um, a presentation or a script or what have you, where it is going to be more in alignment, where you're able to ask questions, you're able to find information. You know, my friend, uh, Art Subcheck, who probably is, is, well, you know, I'll say one of, I think he's the best in the world in terms of, of um, tele, teleselling and, and teleprospecting. Uh, and he has a book called Smart Calling. And that's what he calls these kinds of calls when you do it correctly. It's not cold calling. It's Love smart that. calling. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're doing 
as much of the discovery beforehand as you possibly can. These days, there's no reason not to, um, you know, to, to learn as much as you can. The days of asking someone to tell you about their business, those days are over, right? Right. You need to go into it already knowing and probably, depending upon what you do, already having the insight that can help them see things that maybe aren't even there or that they don't even know are there so that you can you can help them. So so when we smart call, that's a whole, you know, that's that's a whole different story. Um, so you stay focused, you stay consistent in doing things the go-giver way when it's always about the other person. Uh, you know, nobody, and I, I, I often say this when I, I speak at a sales conference, and I don't say it in a, a dogmatic fashion, I say it more as a way that it's, it's a joke because everyone knows it is, and that is that, you know, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, right? Such they're they're not going to buy from you because you need the money, mm-hmm. and they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person, right? right. They're going to buy from you. And we all laugh because it's true. We all know that as salespeople, right? They're not buying for our benefit. They're going to buy only because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason anyone should buy from you or from me or for, from, from anyone else, because they believe they will be better off by doing so. When we keep that in mind, Laura, now we're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. Right. Because we know everything we do in that process needs to be about the other person. Love that. Such an important distinction, really looking at those scripts that honor the other person and this idea of smart calling. I bought Endless Referrals first. And so can you describe how you you describe this book as a how-to book for bringing potential customers to you? Can you share how your approach to connecting is different from what other people typically think typically think about um, networking? Well, you know, what's interesting is I've been speaking on this topic for a a long time. And um, when the book first came out, it's been out now in three um, editions. And the first one came out in the mid-90s. And back then, I think I was one of maybe three or four authors on networking. Now there's tons of them, okay? Mm -hmm. And and, and and many of them are just great books. I, I, I learned something from all of them. Um, and I think most of us who write on the topic, you know, we, we understand networking as being something that's very, uh, you know, again, very focused on, on the other person. Uh, but what's interesting is that I still see people and hear about people doing this, and, and whether it's online or face-to-face, what have you, you still see people thinking that networking is all about you know, glad handing and backhanding and slapping hands and shaking hands and saying things like, let's do lunch. And, you know, <laughs> basically people hitting everybody else up for business or what we call people trying to sell each other hats. Right. And it, it's really ineffective. And so I define networking as simply the cultivating of mutually beneficial give and take or mm-hmm. give and receive win-win relationships. The the key is to focus on that other person uh, from the get-go or from the give-go in that, in that very, very first conversation. 
And uh, but, you know, many of the people out there who who teach networking, whether it's people like Dr. Ivan Meisner of BNI, who really just has has made such a, a positive difference in the way that networking is seen worldwide mm-hmm. because he has such you know gigantic reach and and uh, has done such a, a wonderful job. And, uh, you know, people, uh, whether it's Susan Rowan or, or I'm just trying, I don't want to say I hate to leave anybody out because it, yeah. I mean, there's so many great, great teachers on the topic. But I, I think that's really what it is. Uh, Tim, you know, people like Tim Houston, that when, you know, when, when people approach it the correct way, Laura, it's a it's a very it's a very lucrative way of doing business. But it's also a way in which you totally take the pressure off of yourself. Because your focus is on the other person, mm-hmm. and uh, and and the best way to do this is to worry less about your elevator speech, <laughs> and instead focus on asking questions that immediately engage this person and and make them feel good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Uh, so you, if you want, I can, you know, I can go through a couple of these questions if you'd like. I would love that because I was just about to say, I know you are the master at this. So please share a couple of questions that you use. Well, you meet someone for the first time and you, you ask them what they do. And they're going to probably, again, they're going to give you their elevator speech. And so just, you know, listen politely and, and you know, and, and take it in and appreciate it. And that's fine. That's what they've been taught to do. And, and we'll, we'll pretend in this case the person's name is Gary. He sells copying machines. Um, I always use that example. Just easy to, easy to do and uh, easy to remember. And, um, and he tells you, he says, I, you know, I sell high-end copying machines for Acme Office products. We help people to blah, 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 you know, what, what have you. And then he says, what do you do? And again, I'm going to suggest forget about the elevator speech. Just say, uh, you know, I, I'm a realtor with Oceanside Realty. Boom. That's it. Because right now, remember, when you first meet someone, when you first meet them, right now, their level of interest in you and in what you do can be summarized in three words. They don't care. <laughs> not, not right now. They care about themselves and their business. So let's let's go with that and let's let's make that the focus. So 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 I have these questions I call feel good questions and and they're not prospecting, they're not salesy, they're not intrusive, they're not invasive. Again, they just make that person feel good. That easily establishes a rapport and communicates value right away with that person. So so the first question you might ask Gary is, how did you get your start? Selling copying machines, or a little bit more elegant way to put it might be, how did you get your start as an office products professional? And it, you know, this is not a clever question; it's not a slick question. Uh, uh, but it's, it, in fact, it's very mundane. But people love love answering that question. Why? Because you just made them the star. You mm-hmm. basically said, "I want to know about you. I want to know how you got. I want to hear your story." And this is something that this person is not asked to share. Uh, his own family does not ask him to, to share that story, okay? And mm-hmm. here's someone you, you just met who, rather than doing what everyone else does, trying to hit him up for your product or service, you're asking him to share his story of how he got started. And he's going to really appreciate that. Uh, the next question uh, is, is something along the lines of, 
what do you enjoy most about your work or about what you do? It probably sounds more like, wow, you must have had some fascinating experiences, Gary. Tell me, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Great question. And again, this is a feel-good question, right? It mm-hmm. lies with the face of a lot of traditional teaching where they say, well, immediately find their pain, right? Reach into their heart and tear it out. Right. right. And you know, right now, this person's just not ready for that. Now, depending upon what you sell, there might be a time, uh, again, when you're presenting for him or, or what have you, that, that you might need to tactfully help him um, share his pain so that you can help solve it with your products or services. But that's that's not now. Right now, this is, is just not the time for that. So I'm going to say instead of finding his pain, find his joy so he can associate you with that joy. So you've asked a couple of these questions and the rapport has begun to build. And now I'm going to suggest asking what I call the one key question that will separate you from practically everyone else this person's ever met. And, and the question sounds something like this, Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? Okay. Or Mary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospect for you? Or, or you know, how can I know if if, uh, if someone I'm speaking with would enjoy, uh, you know, knowing about you? Okay. So, so in other words, what you're asking him is basically, how can I help you attain new business? Right. Okay. Uh, again, it's the the question that really separates you from someone else. Now, a good way to lead into that question is to say. Uh, you know, Gary, I always enjoy connecting good people with other good people. Uh, tell me, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospect or a good customer for you? What terrific questions to really get people talking and build that rapport. That's so necessary before you have any type of um, business interaction with them. Sure. Fantastic. Those are great. Well, well thank you. So. So looking at one of your other books, Adversaries versus Allies, um, essentially this is how to win people over without manipulation or coercion. Great, great title. Um, In that book, you have a chapter that stood out to me, How to Say No Graciously and Effectively. Love this because I work with a lot of clients who who naturally givers have a hard time saying no. So can mm-hmm. you talk about why that's important and how how do you use that to complement the go giver way? Sure. Well, I, I, and uh, I'll talk about the end of that first. It, it complements the go giver way because we're placing our focus on the other person, making them feel good about themselves, genuinely. Okay, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, saying no in a way that's going to be a turnoff to another person, or giving in and doing something we really don't want to do, which is you know not something I would I would recommend. And as you said, it's difficult to say no sometimes because as human beings. Uh, we tend to want to please others. You know, we don't want to say no if we don't have to, but it's very dangerous to say yes to things you shouldn't be saying yes to. Uh, we we only have a, a limited amount of time and energy and so forth, so we do need to pick and choose where we're going to uh, place that. And, you know, being a go-giver should never be confused with being a martyr or being self-sacrificial. Uh, if someone asks you to do something and you really don't want to do it, you know, I mean, I'm uh, assuming it's it's not life and death, you know, uh, then the no, you should let let's as an example, say someone asks you to serve on a committee. Great example. And you just, you know, you, you just don't want to for whatever reason it is. You, you just it's not something you want to do. So 
how do you say no in a way that really honors that other person and still respects your boundaries? And there are a couple of ways that have been taught that I'm going to bring up, not because I want to disrespect any other way of doing things, because it's not necessarily that my way is, is the only way of doing something, but I, but I don't feel these are productive, and yet they're taught so often. And one of them is the advice that, well, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> and I get the intent. Okay, I, I get the intent. It's that you shouldn't feel like you have to do. But to say no is a complete sentence, I, I don't think that's productive. Because first of all, if someone asks you to do something, again, like serve on a committee, obviously they think highly enough of you that they're, they're asking. Uh, so to just say no, you know, that's not a complete sentence, at least not if you want this person to uh, feel as though you respect them right. to, you know, not shut the door on other opportunities you might have that you might want. Plus saying no that way is I'm going to suggest it's, it's not congruent with your value system, which is treating other people with kindness and respect. So, so I don't think that's a good way. Another way that's taught is to kind of fib a little bit by saying, well, I would, but I don't have the time. The problem with that, as I, as I see it, is that it's first of all, it's not that you don't have the time. It's that you just really don't want to do the thing as much as you don't want to do the thing. And so, and, and I think people know that. So it, it, so it's not that you don't have the time and it feels a little yucky to kind of, to, to, to fib and so forth. And plus, if you do that, when the person persuasively, um, shares with you why time will not be an issue, now you're really stuck. stuck. Mm-hmm. Because now you either have to admit that you are kind of fibbing because you don't want to do it, which is going to make them respect you a little bit less. And again, you're going to feel, to use the technical term, yucky, okay? <laughs> or what you need to do is in order to save face, you need to take the assignment. You need to serve on that committee, which you don't really want to do. So I, again, I don't think that's a great option. So, so I, I don't think you know, fibbing or making up an excuse is, is also, I, I don't think that's productive either. So here's how to do this. And, and I just share this with people that if you'll practice this a couple of times, it'll absolutely set you free <laughs> when, when you want to say no. And you can always feel great about it. The other person will as well. And it's simply to, to say this again, the person asks you to serve on a committee and you say, thank you so much for asking while it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. Okay, and now you can change the words around a little bit to suit your style. It might be, oh, thank you. Uh, while it's not something I choose to take on, uh, please know how, know how grateful or know how honored I am you know, just to be asked, however you want to say it. But basically what you've done is you've thanked the person, okay, you, you thank them. Um, you, you did let them know that you it's not something that you're going to do and you let them know how grateful you are, how honored you were even to be thought of like that by them. So you have totally honored them. Uh, there's no way that person can be, you know, uh, can be offended. Right. And you, you know, you kind of set yourself for now, Laura, if the person kind of comes back one time and says, Oh, but we really need you to, you know, so forth. Just listen patiently. Don't interrupt them. Just have, you know, an air of of calmness, uh, you know, without any defensiveness. And then when they finish, pause for a moment and then just say, 
Oh, I, I appreciate it. I don't believe so. But again, thank you so much for asking. Is Boom. it a great way for people to be able to own their truth with kindness? Mm-hmm. Such an important yeah, exactly. such an important distinction. This is so amazing, and I know that we've got a lot more questions to to continue the show. Right now we're gonna take a brief break for the Own Your Truth musical artist of the week. This week I am thrilled to feature Lee Silvestri. My regular listeners have heard his sound before because he was the first musical artist I featured on my show. And when I thought about the essence of being a go-giver, there was no one else's music I could play tonight. Not only is Lee a talented musician, he's an outstanding person. He embodies the go-giver in everything he does. He's generous, generous as a musician, often opening for and playing alongside others. And he's an amazing person, constantly looking for ways to help others, including being a catalyst for the Own Your Truth podcast. So I am so grateful to have Lee as a go-giver in my life. Um, he's someone whose friendship is a gift and whose music will calm your soul. Without further ado, here is Lee Silvestri, Lost and Found. Remember asking me what makes a soul? Remember thinking I could will it? My heart of gold, just a lump of coal, I couldn't say. If I were you, I'd take shelter in the sound. And keep the faith when there's trouble Go and get lost before you can be found. Jump in the deep end, that's what they'll say. Go touch your toes down to the bottom. That and all the other sordid, sweet cliche will get you drowned. Take shelter in the sound Keep the faith when there's trouble all around Take a dive, but remember Doesn't 
Welcome back from the soothing sound of Lee Silvestri. If now we're going to learn more about Bob and his philosophies. So, Bob, there is so much great information out there about you. I, it, again, it's narrowing it down for me. I, I heard in a podcast that you were in sales yourself and on the verge of finding a you know a regular job to pay the bills, and you adopted a one more call philosophy that changed everything. Can you talk about that philosophy? Yeah, well, it's actually a story. I, I and by the way, before I start, that was that was great from from Lee. He's really fantastic. He does uh, Connecticut proud. Yo, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so uh, I tell the story about when I was probably two, almost three years into being a speaker. And, uh, you know, the speaking business is a business like anything else. It's, it's basically sales, right? You mm-hmm. have to sell your speaking engagements. And, uh, and when you start out pretty much like anything else, you, you are everything in your business. You're the, the product or service. You're the salesperson. You're the bookie for your, uh, you take out the trash, everything else. And so, uh, for the first few years, I, I followed a, a system that I, I had learned how to book myself as a speaker. But the challenge is I was always kind of behind the eight ball in terms of, uh, you know, I'd make some, you know, I'd, I'd sell the engagements. I'd be out there speaking, make some money, come back. There's no business. I have to resell, you know, it was that, that constant. Roller coaster. Uh, yeah. And it got to a point where, you know, the, the, um, the outflow was was much more than the uh, income, and so it, you know, it was getting to that point. I was thinking, am I going to have to get a, a real job, right? Uh, and you know, and, and maybe do the speaking part time. And I really didn't want to do that because I was loving this business. I, I really was. I found what I wanted to do. Uh, and now, and it's funny. About six months earlier, one of the uh, speakers, a very successful speaker. Uh, who, who spoke at the National Speakers Association conference that I had attended, uh, told the story about how early in her career something similar had happened, and, and she found herself going through the, the help-wanted ads to maybe take a part-time job, which she didn't want to do. So uh, I'm sure this is the case of a lot of speakers who are just starting, or anyone, any <laughs> entrepreneur who's starting their own thing. 100%. Right, while they, mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear it a and lot. Exactly. So... Uh, so it was kind of coming down to the wire, and and it was a Friday, and I remember saying to myself that if if, if I didn't book a, an engagement today, I was going to have to seriously go through the the one ads, probably get a job in sales that I could do, and then it, you know maybe speak on weekends or do some other thing to you know whatever I'd have to do, I'd figure it out. But again, I really didn't want to do that, and so. Uh, I was calling and calling, and, and we had one, one of the things we used back then, and this is, again, many years ago now. There's so much of the marketing you can do uh, from from directories online. But back then, it was two very heavy books. It was the <laughs> National Trade Professional Association directory and the State and Regional Association directory. You kind of went through and, you, and, and so forth. But so uh, I was making the calls to those in my markets that I was working and so forth. And, I mean, nothing was happening. I was getting really depressed. And it was the end of the day, and this was it. I mean, you know, uh, it's over. It's five o'clock. I'm going home, and uh, um, and when I say five o'clock, I mean five o'clock Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I mean, I was making calls as long as I could, but the um, 
um, but it, you know, it was, it was, that was pretty much it. And then I remembered something I used to do when I was in, when I was in sales back, uh, when I first started. And what I would do is at the end of the day, after the very, very last call, whether a phone call or, or a, a knock on door kind of, uh, call, what I would always do is make one more call. And so again, this is after all the calls were done. I'd make one more call. I didn't have to make a sale, didn't have to make a good connection, didn't have to advance it to an appointment. That wasn't about it. That wasn't what it was about. It was just making one more call. But it was always interesting how often that one more call would turn into something. So I decided, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make one more call. I don't care who it's to. I'm just going to make one more call. And I kind of about as random as I possibly could, I, I turned a page in the uh, National Trade Professional Association directory, and it was a, a particular um, um, association. It was the Professional Golfers Association, the PGA of America. Now, I'm thinking um, they have not, you know, what I do has nothing to do with them, you know, the, the people who are on, you know, on TV golfing, right? Now, right. at the time, by the way, I was actually teaching a memory course, okay? This is what I did the first few years of my speaking career. I basically taught a memory course before I went into the networking. I was teaching how to remember names and faces and all these, these different things. Ah. And so, yeah. And so, so I thought this has, you know, obviously nothing to do with them. So, But I made the call anyway. And what the person was doing there that late, I didn't didn't know, didn't expect anyone to answer, but a very nice woman answered the phone. And I said, you know, is this the PGA of America, uh, 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 Professional Golf Association of America? She says, yes, it is. And I said, well, you know, and I, I told her what I did. Not, and again, just not expecting anything, Laura. It was just the one more call. And she said, well, you know, it's interesting, Bob. She said, these people, you know, who, who I take care of are not the people you see on TV doing the golfing. These are the golf pros who manage the, the, you know, the country, the golf stores at the, at the country club. Okay. Ah, and she said, and not only do they need, do they badly need to remember the names of, of people who, you know, who are their customers and who they teach lessons to and who, you know, but they, um, but they get uh, continuing education credits. And we have a whole list of speakers, and and I think your program sounds great. Would you like to be listed in the in the directory? Wow! Yeah. Now, so Laura, I got to tell you what happened. That over the next three years, uh, in in what they had is they were called sections as opposed to state associations. They were sections, and they had something like forty two of them that covered all fifty states. There were forty two sections with some of the states combined, and I think I worked something like thirty three out of the 42 over the next three years. And back then I wasn't making the kind of money for, you know, a talk as, as maybe today, uh, which is all, many years later, but it was definitely, definitely enough to keep me in business so that I could hire someone part-time. Uh, it, it, you know, made it easier for me to kind of keep things as they needed to be. And it basically kept me in business. So it really is that one more call. And, and I have one to, more call. I have to admit when you heard me go, oh, when you were talking about teaching a memory course, I heard I've heard you speak live a couple of times and I am always in awe 
of how you introduce yourself to every single person and then you go and say everyone's name. The first time I saw you do it, I think we were, I was in Philadelphia. I, I, I was yeah. speechless. I was like, what? I, I, and you knew every single person in the audience. It's amazing. And talk about making people feel special. I mean, that's really uh-huh. an awesome, awesome gift. And it's just a learned skill, too. It's just a system because I was the world's worst. I mean, I was horrible at it before I learned how to do this. I, I took that course because I was so horrible at it. And I, I remember I bought the person's tapes. That, that's how long ago this was, by the way. The tapes. I, he had tapes. <laughs> not not uh, CDs, but tapes. There's and, hope um, for me. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's just, you know, learning a system like anything else. And, and I worked, you know, worked at it and learned it and, and got good at it and made it kind of part of the whole thing that I did. I don't do those anymore, by the way. I, you know, the, the, the remembering people in the audience. As I get old at 61, I'm just not uh, willing to do that. It's, it's too much work. <laughs> well, I think it's just because your audience have gotten so big that it's just, you, I mean, really, can you really remember all of those people? Um, I think the time I went, I mean, it was like a small, I don't know, 400 people. I mean, it was a big, it wasn't a small crowd. I don't know if there were that many people. I don't know how many names you usually remember. Yeah, but- and I didn't, you know, it wasn't all of them, but it was, I, I used to, you know, I, I what I would do, and even when I spoke at the at the bigger events, I mean, I might meet fifty or sixty or seventy people, and you know, as I was, and then I, what I would say is for them, the ones who I met, as long as we got to exchange names with each other, you know, please stand up and stay standing. Okay. And okay. You know, a whole bunch of them were were up, so you know, it was a, a lot of people. But again, it was it, it actually was easier than it looked if you knew how to do it, like anything else. Um, but but to go but to um, but to do that now, it's just, it, you know, it's still a lot of work to to do that. <laughs> right. Remember all those days. It's really not difficult, but it's, it's it's uh something that it takes I, some effort. Again, as, I, as I as I get older, I just, yeah, I don't I don't put that kind of effort into it anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I like to ask each of my guests about mastery. What do you think it takes to master a craft? What it takes to master a craft. I think you've got to be willing to do it, do the thing, whatever that thing is, over and over and over again to be open to to where you're not doing it correctly because practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect mm-hmm. practice makes perfect. We all know that. Uh, so, so a person must be humble enough to, to accept coaching uh, and you know, to be able to to be able to to just keep keep going at it until they get it. Uh, you know, I it, I don't think it's it's one of those things that's and you hear this phrase a lot. It, it's simple but not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, because you think about it, just about anything you want to do, someone has done it before. They've documented how to do it. If you if you step into the system of doing it, you'll get it. You know, I I define a system. As simply the process of predictably achieving the goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. Uh, the key being predictability. If it's been proven that by A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A, and you'll get the desired result of B. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot in that, though. You've still got to be willing to do the thing over and over and over again. That's why, you know, when 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 people put a um, 
such a, a high value on doing what you're passionate about, right? Now, there's, there's, um, you know, there's a saying that is, it, 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 it sounds true, but it's really not complete. Um, and that is, you know, follow your passion, uh, you know, do what you love, and you'll never work another day in your, your life. Mm-hmm. That's not really true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's part true. I think you should do what you're passionate about. Uh, and these days there's a kind of pushback on that saying, oh, don't worry about what you're passionate about. Just do the thing and you'll get passionate. Eh, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I understand what they're saying, but I think there's, a, a, there's, there's an issue there that it's very, very what first of all the the complete thing is do what you're passionate about and find a marketplace who will pay you for it mm-hmm. okay because you can have you can be passionate about something but if no one's willing to pay you for this this service or this thing you're passionate for you're going to have a very you know you're going to have a hobby which right. is good but An it's not the same as a, as a business but i think that in order to be real to really master yourself master something you've got to be passionate about it you've got to enjoy it because how can you do something over and over and over again if you really don't love it right so you know true. and that's yeah that and that's that's where passion really comes in it's that passion that that makes it so it's not a chore to practice something you know hours and hours and hours a day you actually love you may not love every single thing about doing it, but you love it enough that you'll keep doing it until you master it. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about your outstanding career, do you consider yourself um, at that point of mastery? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Uh, in, in certain specific areas, I've certainly, you know, I've, gotten good at, at, at certain things i think as, as far as my topics yes um but i'm i'm not i'm not sure i could say that i have mastered them i i kind of see so many areas where there's room for improvement mm-hmm. so no i guess i'd have to say no i i really haven't but i'm i'm still still uh working at it <laughs> Well, you know, I have to say I love asking that question because the people that I look up to say, wow, they're true masters. They're so growth minded. They often don't see themselves as masters. And so I just want to thank you for sharing what I view as your mastery on sales and life and all of those great things. Um, Thank you so much for for sharing your time tonight. Bob, before we go, can you quickly tell people where they can find you after the show? Sure, they can visit Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. I like to keep things really simple. <laughs> awesome. And and I know that you're really active online, so Bob's got a Facebook page. Please check him out. Um, there is a wealth of information. He's got podcasts. He's got um, videos. I mean, you name it. There is information out there, and Bob is just wonderful about sharing everything that he knows. Laura T. on Own Your Truth. We should-
preceding program was paid for by LMT Consulting, LLC, who is solely responsible for its content.